Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hey, hey, everybody. How is it going? This is Lori H. Schwartz, your Tech Cat. And it has actually been a while since I've done a live show because I have been all over the place reporting um, live on the floor at a number of technology and marketing trade shows. The most recent was actually in the fabulous city of Lisbon, Portugal, for Web Summit, which actually had about, I think, close to 50,000 people attending. And um, also, I was at TechCrunch and another event called CTA Innovate, all events that celebrate startups in marketing and technology and really help us understand what are some of the trends that we're looking at down the road. And to really um, set the stage for a great conversation today about what is leadership like um, in marketing and what are chief marketing officers um, really becoming in today's businesses. And we always hear a lot about how the turnover rate for CMOs is really quick and um, what a complex role that is becoming with technology. So um, today on the show, we're going to talk to an interview, an expert um, in this world, and that's Mr. Stephen Cook, who is a managing partner at Fortune CMO, and he's going to tell us all about that, as well as a contributing editor to adobecmo.com. So ladies and gentlemen, let's have a big tech cat welcome for Mr. Stephen Cook. All right. Wow, Lori, that's an amazing audience. I love it. I'm glad to be here. Everyone calm down. Sometimes they throw clothes and things, you know, it just depends. Um, yeah, but Stephen, well, they won't throw tomatoes at me. <laughs> Not so early in the interview, anyway. Well, give us a, give us a sense of, because um, you do so many things, and, and it's all around marketing and business insights and innovation. So kind of set the stage for us about who you are in this world. Sure. So I've been a marketer for a little over 30 years. I started my career pre-internet days in the 80s at Procter & Gamble, working in global headquarters, working in North America, working on the ground in Europe, and then working globally, uh, mostly in personal care categories where emotion and empathy is critically important to a brand's success. Uh, and then I was hired away at Coca-Cola. I started Coca-Cola's first global innovation group. Uh, I worked on uh, global brands, and I worked on large customers and new business development. And then I got hired away by Samsung to be the CMO for North America. So I had about 27 years of global brand and business development and innovation experience under my belt. I've always been an entrepreneur, always been an early adopter of technology and new ways of thinking about and doing marketing. But at my core, I'm customer-centric. You know, that was beat into my brain uh, at Procter & Gamble where you learn that the customer is the boss, customer first, which it's kind of full circle. We're coming back to that with design thinking. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and I just started to believe that as more startups were starting, uh, about you know five, six, seven years ago, because it was easier to start a company and scale it very quickly with lean methodologies. I, I saw an opportunity to jump in the middle uh, between startup founders, between uh, VCs and private equity firms, and between Fortune 1000 companies that are looking to connect with more innovators because they can't innovate fast enough inside of their 
legacy uh, infrastructure and cultures. And so that's what I've been doing the last six years. I'm, I'm playing in a number of different ways, as you said, in the middle of that marketplace, and it's, it's fast and furious, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I, I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned that hopefully we'll cover here uh, for both entrepreneurs as well as people who are working in Fortune 1000 companies. Fantastic. Well, tell us how you started Fortune CMO. Is that your own company? Do you have partners? Like, how does that work? It's, it's my own company. I'm a sole practitioner, but I've built a network. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm on the board of the Atlanta chapter of a group based out of Santa Clara, California, called TIE. And uh, most people don't know about it. It's a fairly quiet group, although they are the largest entrepreneurial network in the world with 16 chapters across 18 countries. And so that is one way for me to uh, meet people, uh, not only in the Atlanta entrepreneurial network, but also the Silicon Valley and the global entrepreneurial network. Uh, another thing that, uh, that I've embedded myself into is the Silicon Valley Executive Network based in Silicon Valley, and the CEO there asked me to develop the Future of Marketing series program, which we do every quarter. Uh, and what we do there is we, we uh, create a very diverse mix of people in an audience with CEOs and CMOs and, and other functional leaders, and we bring in world-class inspirational leaders like Jeffrey Moore of Crossing the Chasm uh, to stimulate thinking about where is marketing going in the future and how do you prepare yourself for that. Um, and then the last thing that I'll mention is writing for CMO.com. I was invited to be the contributing editor five years ago, and my role on our team is to talk with leading CMOs and other thought leaders in the marketing ecosystem uh, to, to get their take on what they're learning, what keeps them up at night, what, what has failed and why, what's worked and why. And by doing that, I literally every week I write a story and I'm interviewing a major, major uh, thought leader, and just, you know, pulling and kind of aggregating, you know, making sense out of everything that's going on, because there's a lot of transformation happening. And uh, so, you know, I might be able to share a couple of things on that as well. When you say that you put yourself in the middle of startups and marketers and techos and all these things, you know, how, how does that manifest? Because so many of us function as solo proprietors, and as connectors, and and for me personally, it's always been a challenge how to monetize that role. But at the same time, there's very few of us who speak everybody's language. Um, so I'm curious as to you know how you see yourself in that center swirl. Well, that's that's an interesting question, and it's certainly been a learning process um, for me. You know, when I left, uh, you know, the the comfort of working in a an established uh, Fortune 50 company, uh, and and had to learn an entirely new ecosystem. So that that took some time. But um, what what I've done, and it was just you know my in, in my DNA, it was my nature. Is I gave of myself before I asked for anything in return, and huh. by, by giving by giving value and demonstrating what I could do before I tried to monetize it, that was a way to become known as somebody who could add value in, in specific situations. So the the monetization side of uh, FortuneCMO.co is I am hired as an outsourced chief marketing officer and business development lead. 
uh, working with VCs and private equity firms and uh, founders directly in Silicon Valley, Atlanta, and a lot in Israel. And they bring me in um, at an early stage, uh, and uh, I do everything. Everything and anything that a marketer would be required to do, and, and as you well know, uh, you know the, the growth is all in technology. I, I always joke with people when I say the world doesn't need another peanut butter. Uh, what the world <laughs> is looking for is digital transformation products and services, and that's where the growth is. And I find more times than not that the founding teams tend to be, and I say this with all due respect, uh, engineers. Uh, technical people, uh, you know, uh, logistics, ops people, and, and they know things and have brain power that I don't have, but yep. I have marketing and branding and consumer empathy skills, both art and science uh, disciplines that they don't have. And so I, I fill a gap in their teams uh, at a time where they really couldn't afford a full-time person and because I've worked in so many different verticals, I can be up to speed and contributing uh, in a fairly short period of time. So that's, that's the monetization side of the house. On I, the I non-monetization love, side where I'm adding value is I do a lot of pro bono work for causes that I believe in. I do a lot of pro bono work in the entrepreneur community, uh, coaching and mentoring high school students, college students that uh, you know, are, are interested and are trying, you know, testing the waters to see if they have what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. So I spend a lot of time doing that. And again, giving up myself. You know, I'm at that stage in my life where you know, I, I, I'm in a position to give back, and so I do. No, that that's that's wonderful. Um, I love when people say that out loud because I think it it echoes out, you know. And then someone's like, "Oh, maybe I'll do that." Um, but I, I also love what you're saying about the role that you're playing inside of these startups and companies because I too, for many years, was rebuilding presentations that startups would come in and present and before they got in front of marketers because. The deck had nothing in it that would resonate to a creative side of the business or to a marketing side of the business. It was so engineering and entrepreneurial, and they were missing that human side. So I t- totally understand what you're saying. And when you talk about design well, thinking... Well, hey, Lori, can, yep. can I give you an example that I think will yeah, resonate with your, with your listeners? Uh, yes. I was working with a startup in the live streaming, entertainment live streaming space in, uh, in Palo Alto three or four years ago, and through you know my my network of uh, CPG leaders, I got a meeting with Anheuser-Busch in their Palo Alto Skunk Works office, and we, we were given 30 minutes to present, and the, the CEO who works at, worked at SAP at the time, he's, he's a technologist, very smart guy, worked for Israeli intelligence, so wicked smart guy, actually, and I coached him on you know, how we needed to approach Anheuser-Busch brand people. And he got up and for about 10 minutes was talking about this wonderful code that our team wrote. Code, 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 code. And finally, I could just see the AB people kind of starting to look at their, uh, their Blackberries and writing notes to themselves. They were, they, were, they were losing engagement with him. And finally, the senior brand guy said, Aaron, um, that's all nice, and I'm sure you're very proud of your code, but tell me why this matters to me. And Aaron went back to explaining the code, and they you know, they basically said a few minutes later, that's it, we've heard enough, thank you very much. And he was, he walked out of the room pissed off, pissed off at me, you know, why did they dismiss us? And I said, Aaron, you were talking about what was important to you. 
What you need to talk about is what is important to them. And, and I think that's nice. something that entrepreneurs, whether you're presenting to a potential um, prospect uh, or, or just developing something, this is all part of Lean Startup methodology. Talk to your customers with an MVP. Find out what their pain points are. You know, it's not about what you think is cool and awesome. It's what the end buyer, end user thinks is cool and awesome that will be willing to pay something for that product. And that's that, a, I, I see that time and time note. again as a we just have to, Stephen, we just have to take a, that, a quick that break. technology entrepreneurs make. Stephen, we just have to take a quick break, but we're going to come back and talk more because you're saying such wonderful, insightful things. When we come back, we're going to talk about some trends around the marketing and technology business that you're seeing that are significant. And as you mentioned, what's keeping CMOs up at night. So we're going to be back in a moment with the fabulous Stephen Cook, the Fortune CMO. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everybody, and we are back with the fabulous Stephen Cook, who I'm calling the Fortune CMO. And Stephen is a a great consultant and guru to chief marketing officers at many Fortune 500 and 100 companies. And so, Stephen, what right now would you say makes a great chief marketing officer? Well, uh, to answer that, I've, I've got to lay out a little bit of context about what's going on in the environment of business in general. Yeah, and, go. And in the go, CMO baby, go. Role. And, you know, and I, I think... Your listeners have probably read a lot of the same articles you and I have about the digital transformation that is essential for every company in every vertical to understand and figure out how to do it in a relevant way for their company and their industry. And with the, the digital transformation, 
um, there there are a lot of structural and cultural shifts that come with, that have to come with that for it to uh, be successful. Culture being absolutely essential, and then an organization and and what matters inside an organizational structure second. And so, if you ladder down from that, there there's a significant shifting between. Uh, the traditional areas that CIOs and CTOs owned, which was IT, basically enterprise-wide, and what marketers, CMOs, now need to, if not own it, and if not, you know, owning the budget, uh, be a, a key influencer in, in figuring out what is right for that particular company and their objectives. So you see this migration from this traditional CTO-CIO role to a CMO role. In fact, Gartner, and I forget the exact number, but by 2020, you know, it, it's there, billions of dollars will have shifted to the CMO's budget from the traditional CIO and CTO role. And, and why is that? Uh, it, it's not happening by accident. It's because uh, there is so much capability now to better understand uh, every single component in your value chain, whether you're B2B, B2C, you know, government, uh, a value chain, whatever it is, you can access data and you've got to make sense of that and use it in a, in a, in a wise way. Uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with who are we selling to? How are we generating demand? You know, what, what have we done in our marketing value chain that is working? So basically attribution. And a lot of that falls into uh, either the chief sales officer's role, the CMO's role, or the new role of chief revenue officer. And sometimes all three of those com- are combined into one role. So as that happens, um, you need, number one, a very strong CEO that um, uh, will influence this change and make sure that he has the right people in place with the right mindsets uh, to make this transformation happen. And, and as this transformation happens, it's not, it should not be perceived internally, although I see this quite often as a land grab. The CMO needs to collaborate more than ever with the CIO and CTO and vice versa. So um, that's important to answer your question about what's important for uh, today's CMO. I think being... Um, a collaborator, being a silo breaker, uh, being a good listener to understand the perspectives of your peer functions because you, you, you can't mandate things to them. You can't strong arm them. You've got to understand what legacy um, infrastructure and software they're working with. Uh, and figure out how to migrate from that to where you need to be. So I think collaboration, listening is very, very important. I think um, with the pace of change in marketing, you've got to be a trainer. You've got to be a, a teacher. So, uh, you know, that's why I give of myself. I'm, I, I love teaching. I love seeing people grow. But I think, you know, any CMO, any, any marketing leader today needs to make sure that they are growing the next generation of marketers uh, and, um, you know, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There still are things from traditional marketing, uh, like creative, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, storytelling. That We were doing that since caveman days, right? Those things can't be lost at the expense of running towards big data. So a lot of those soft skills uh, still need to be nurtured and, and, and taught. Um, do you, other do things, Stephen, do you, I, I do, think, you, do you think, um, do you think, sorry to interrupt, but do you think that... Um, CMOs now 
require, because of the roles that you were talking about, re- require the ability to really understand technology, you know, at a much deeper level than sort of their predecessors did, who really did rely on the IT guy, you know, um, those days seem to be gone. I mean, do they have to really be master of many? Absolutely, Lori. Absolutely. Excellent point. And I I know that's a core area of of what you do, but that is absolutely essential. And that's why you see more and more non-technology company CMOs going to um, events like CES because they've got to understand the technology that their consumers are using, like mobile phones, as as a, as a great example. They've got to understand that. They've got to understand the software and the technology behind it uh, in order to be consumer centric and to be able to talk with uh, not only their their technology people inside their company, but the multitude of vendors. Uh, there seems to be a new you know advertising technology vendor every day. So how do you how do you make sense of all of this clutter in the gold rush for advertising and marketing dollars as we shift to a big data world? Uh, and so you, as a CMO, you can't outsource the understanding of technology to anybody else. You have to take it upon yourself to immerse yourself uh, in this technology, and, and there are a lot of CMO conferences that, and, and, and publications like CMO.com, for example, that um, make it easy, easier for a CMO to search and find what they need to know. Why, why um, did Adobe, um, you know, get behind CMO.com? Because I know you were you were intricately involved in that. Like, why is it so important for them to be a sort of central resource for CMOs? Well, it's it's interesting. I I was I wasn't there at the time of Adobe acquiring CMO. I, was, I, I joined about a year after, but I was, so I was in the early early days. And um, I, I, from what I've heard, and my understanding is Adobe sees CMO.com not as an advertising platform for them. In fact, they're very hands off, very quiet about it. Um, they they use it to um, enable their a lot of their um, their core stakeholders, agencies, CMOs, other people in the marketing and advertising ecosystem to have a one-stop shop to learn about all the changes that are happening uh, in the marketer's wheelhouse because of the digital transformation and social media and, and all the technology that is impacting the relationship between consumer and brand owner. So that's why they're doing it. But I think they also use it. In fact, I know they also use all of the content uh, that that is published and aggregated as a as a listening post for their executives. This is a way for them to stay on top of what's changing so quickly and make sense of it. And uh, you know that's why they have uh, people that know what they're talking about, right? And then they aggregate content from other well recognized publications. Um, so that's and this that's is, why they this have Demo.com. Yeah, it's a very modern concept to become a company that listens to your, you know, employees in a different way than in the past. Now, you were mentioning this before, and I wanted to circle back to this about design thinking um, and why that's so important. Can you define what that is? Yes, uh, and and actually, I'll uh, I'll send you a story that I just published two weeks ago, which is 
trend. It's getting incredible traction, faster than than any story I've written in the last five years. Oh wow! Uh, and it's got it's got got a lot of interesting insights from uh, a Silicon Valley Executive Network function that I co-hosted. But design thinking, it it it, it the. It was basically developed at Stanford's design school, uh, and a guy named David Kelly, who is the founder of IDEO in San Francisco, pioneered it. There are other pioneers as well, and it's been bubbling up over the last 15, 20 years, and now it's really come into the forefront. And design thinking, uh, its core essence is to have empathy with whoever your user is. Uh, whether it's the, the end user or an intermediary, it's to understand their world, walk in their shoes. Don't start from an engineering standpoint and a cool idea and start product development. You know, you can create some early concepts and MVPs to get reactions, but what you should do first is understand what the problem is that you're solving and, and to really peel back the onion and have empathy with the experience that somebody is going to have with that product or service, and that helps you define the, the, the problem, the problem statement. Then you go to ideation. Once you understand the problem is of what you're solving, then you do prototyping. You do a lot of rapid prototyping, experimentation, uh, continuous loop feedback, and, and testing. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a process where there is divergent thinking and convergent thinking with a lot of different disciplines perspective because you need the entire organization involved uh and so it's 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 an approach that is an approach that's different from what happens a lot of times particularly in technology companies where engineers think they've identified a problem and they're putting time and resources against creating a product and they get so far down the track before they ever show it to a customer and, and, oh. and get a reaction, and that's that's a setup for failure. Yeah, and and um, that that is certainly the the uh, old school way of thinking of like being locked into a, a campaign or a proposal or a product and never going back out and you know looping in with research or your client and then you know j- then just adding in more over scope over scope over scope and if you do that if that's how you behave now with your clients you will never have that client again <laughs> so you have to no, be because you'll be wasting their time you'll be wasting money and yeah. uh there's there's a great great quote i'm gonna that, and th- this is uh, from a, a senior person at accenture's um uh D- design lab in uh in redwood city uh, that she said, you'll see it in this article, she said, today's magic is tomorrow's mundane. Oh. And so not only are you wasting time, but by the time you've solved for the problem you've, you've, you've been focused on, your competition may have passed you because they're working at a faster pace because they're using design thinking. They're figuring out what the problem is, what the solution is faster than you, uh, and by the time you get to market, they're already there and they're already working on the next iteration. God, I love I love that whole summary. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a little break. But when we come back, um, I want to ask you a little bit more about you know trends in general in marketing and tech that you personally, just as a consumer, uh, are being impacted by, and then how do you think um, that's going to be impacting your clients' business? And you know, especially for the last six months, everyone has said virtual reality. So I'm going to be interested to hear what you think are some of the trends that are really hot and really going to change change the marketplace. So we'll be back in a moment with the fabulous Stephen, Stephen Cook 
I almost said Stephen King, the the horror writer, but I <laughs> Stephen Cook from from Fortune CMO, who is also a great writer, but not about horror stories. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. Lori here, the Tech Cat. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network the key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology StoryTech, a boutique agency empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message engage your customers and raise the bottom line how do you track and exploit the trends how do you stay ahead of industry disruption and how do you maximize profit from content from strategy to execution the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. All right, and we are back with the fabulous Stephen Cook, um, Fortune CMO and a contributing um, editor to CMO.com. And this is my favorite part of the show when I get to ask you, you know, what are some trends in marketing and tech that you personally think are really revolutionary or maybe are impacting your life? And usually it's, for me, you know, trends that impact my life are therefore relevant for everyone else because you can, you could personalize it and then you can turn it into a business case. So what, what, what is bubbling up for you in the, in the world of Stephen Cook? Well, this, uh, this, this first one, it's, it's it's obvious, so it's not going to shock anybody. But it's it's so important, uh, we can't avoid it. And it's just understanding that everybody has a computer in their pocket. It's called a mobile phone that has more computing power than the computing power that was on Apollo Eleven. And you know, when I when I first read that a few years ago, it just blew my mind. But it's true. And uh, you know, every industry uh, is being impacted by people having this incredible um, connective device uh, in their hands, 24/7. You know, on their nightstand, uh, and and using it um, more than ever uh, for for basically everything in their life. So, you know, two years ago, if you'd asked me that question, you and I would have been using the phrase, "Make sure your all your digital uh, products and your website are." design mobile first. We don't need to mention that today because companies should already be there. What what I think people need to think about is um, moments that matter. And this is something that Google has been um, you know, using as their marketing strategy. There, there's a lot, lot, there are a lot of products out there that are trying to understand um, people's behavior and tendencies based on prior behavior in specific moments and making sure that they're that their brand, whether it's a product or service, uh, is there at the right time in a non-creepy, non-intrusive way, 
but in a in a in a valuable way. So for me as a consumer, um, when I uh, see those kinds of things from brands, and because I'm a marketer, you know, I, I know why they're doing it. But if it's done in the right way, I appreciate it, and I will probably use it to do some kind of a financial transaction with them. For the brands that do it wrong, those are the brands that people are putting ad blockers, you know, on their phones. And, right. and that's, a, that's a big concern today uh, for, for marketers, for advertisers, uh, and, and, and for consumers, obviously, because the, the consumer is the one that, that puts that ad blocking software on. So I think understanding how your brand can interact in a, in a valuable, relevant, non-intrusive, authentic way uh, with whoever your consumers are is very important. And, and that phrase, it's a lot easier to say it than it is to figure out how to do it. <laughs> it's essential. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, do, you, um, do you own more than one phone device? Like, are you someone that has both an Android and an Apple so you understand uh, both interactions? I, I do. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Apple guy, um, but I do have an Android phone for an Israeli tech company that has only had enough money to develop their product on Android. They'll get to iOS, which is harder to get approved, as you probably know. Yeah. Uh, so I've got, I've got to be familiar with both ecosystems and operating systems. Do you think it's true, I mean, just on this topic of mobile phone, I would love to hear your opinion. You know, people are sort of predicting the end of Apple's glory days. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the smartphone market, the mobile phone market is saturated and so sales are, um, are still great, but not, you know, what they used to be. So what, what are your thoughts around Apple's role in sort of the future of all of this? I mean, I know the AR product they're coming out with on the next phone is kind of what everyone's hoping for. Well, uh, again, you know, uh, to be transparent, I'm, I've been an Apple guy since I left Samsung. I was an Apple guy before Samsung had to, uh, Put a firewall between my my passion and what I you know was responsible for marketing and selling. But I've I've always been an Apple person, and and here's why. Uh, number one, um, the design is beautiful, and I know everybody knows that. But I but I think that is going to be more important as the world gets more confusing and complex. Design elegance and simplicity with empathy is going to be more important, and their products are simple to use. And, you know, uh, it's, I just think simplicity in a world of complexity is going to be more meaningful. And you look at the struggle of most other companies, even though, you know, even when they realize um, where they're making mistakes culturally and organizationally, they, they just have trouble getting out of their own way. They, 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 they can't, they're, Apple is one generation, at a minimum, more evolved in, in simplicity and design elegance than most other technology companies. So I have trouble accepting that they are going to become irrelevant and will, uh, from, from a business standpoint, decline. I think there are many other business spaces that um, we all you know, read TechCrunch and all the rumors of where they're going, like the connected car. Um, you know, if Elon Musk can successfully develop Tesla, I don't see why Apple couldn't develop a connected car. Google's developing a connected car. It's out on the road. So that's, that could be an enormous revenue, gross revenue and profit um, uh, center for them that would not only sell Apple vehicles, but would sell all of the other um, connected devices that you would want to use inside or 
with your your vehicle. Uh, and it's it's having you know Steve Jobs wall garden, which is brilliant. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think that's I, I think VR and AR is another high gross dollar, high profit margin uh, walled garden because it won't just be with consumers. The the brands, the advertisers will be in the the AR and the VR ecosystem, uh, and Apple will be able to monetize that entire value chain. So I you know I I really I I have trouble. I think they. You know what? What what spooks people sometimes that are watching them from a from a stock standpoint is they they move very methodically and they don't you know they don't feel they have to be the first one to market, uh, but they move very smartly. And yeah, uh, you know, I am. I, am uh, I, I hope they don't to, go away. I, yeah, I continue to be. I mean, our whole house is filled with numbers of Apple-y things. <laughs> what about on the side of? Of uh, virtual assistants, um, have has is that something you're excited about? And do you have any Google Home or Amazon Alexas around? Or what, what's your perspective on 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 those? You know, I I'm uh, I'm usually an early adopter, but um, I don't use Siri. I just it just hasn't I haven't felt the need for it yet, and I don't have Alexa or Google Google Home. Although I've been you know toying with the idea of doing a Cyber Monday, you know, buy on one of those, but I just, I haven't felt the compelling need yet, but I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll get into that very soon. Um, are, are any of your I mean, clients talk, talking about that stuff? Um, because, you know, I have clients and um, compadres who are creating recipes on those devices so that they at least are part of the ecosystem. Yes, and, um, you know, full, full transparency for myself and for you you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of virtually meeting your, your significant other and meeting his business partner at Psy Futures, you know, Ari Popper, and their, um, you know, their thesis that as uh, artificial intelligence and these, these, these devices in our homes and, and with us, you know, wherever we are, as they become more important and learn more about us, the machine learning of these AI devices, at some point, could become um, uh, infinitely indispensable as the decision maker and the filter for what brands consumers end up purchasing because their AI device will know them so well and will be on the other side of the table looking at you know all at amazon.com and all the other marketplaces and will say uh, Steve you need to buy a Chevrolet Corvette instead of the Porsche. And, you know, I'll trust this device so much. Uh, I'll say, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's, let, let's buy it. Pull up the, you know, the AR video so I can put myself in the driver's seat and see what it feels like. So I, I think brands, and it's still early days, but AR and VR and AI are happening faster than I think most people thought that they would um, bubble up and, and, and be commercialized. I think brands need to start thinking about how do they make sure they are part of the algorithm, which is the word that Ari uses, you know, be, become part of this artificial algorithm to make sure that, that their brand is not filtered out um, from the considered set and the recommended set of products and services. So it's a, it's a, it's a meaty topic to wrap your mind around, and I don't have all the answers because this is new to me too, but it's something we all have to figure out. Yeah, I mean, my house is filled with Alexas, and um, I'm going to 
get some Google Homes too. But my my daughter loves Alexa, um, and mostly for the consumption of music content. Um, yep. And I I love um, having constant access to Pandora on the fly and also news. So um, it, it's very interesting. And now Alexa is showing up in other devices that we're buying. So I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, some could say, you know, it's the beginning of Skynet, but I'm much more positive than that. <laughs> but um, uh, just moving on, you know, one more moment to, you know, maybe a brand that you just personally love, like you couldn't do without. Like, is there is there any brand that you just think they, they've got it right, they're providing services to you? If you were trapped on a desert island, they would be the brand that you would bring with you. Well, beyond Apple, because that would be yep. my first answer to your question, um, let me talk about a brand... You know, I don't know if I would bring it with me on a desert island, although this brand I probably would. But a brand that um, I have been a fan of for, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, that um, you've probably seen this in your social media followings from uh, Black Friday, and that brand is Patagonia. And, oh, yes, you know, they, yes, yes. They've, they've, they've been in the press over the course of the years as being, you know, before people were even talking about authenticity and knowing what your purpose and your mission was and being real, um, you know, several years ago, they, they took a stand against conspicuous consumption, you know, during the, during the recession and, you know, as we were all starting to understand the impact of throwing away our clothing, which I just read an article the other day, that is the largest disposable from a tonnage standpoint we all put into the environment every year. Mm. I think we each put in something like 80 pounds of clothing into landfills every year uh, because of this fast, you know, the fast fashion uh, phenomenon. Uh, we're disposing of clothing faster at a faster cycle rate. But on, on um, Black Friday, Patagonia is reported to have um, clocked, I think, $10 million in sales. And they are donating, again, this is all what the press is picking up, they're donating every penny of that to a variety of environmental causes. Yeah, and yeah, that, fantastic. you know, think, think about what that means. I mean, not only from a bottom line standpoint, but what does that say to their consumers who, uh, I think, you know, that cohort tends to be more environmentally conscious, uh, you know, and just ahead of their time in their thinking. And it, it, they've, Patagonia has gone beyond selling the functionality of their product because they already have great product. What they're selling is meaning yep. And, yep. And, and living up to it and, and, and owning that. And, you know, if I'm ever in an REI store, I mean, I generally, I like REI's products, but I will generally go to the Patagonia rack, not only because I, I love their products. You know, I've got to love their products first. It has to look good, feel good, be priced right. But, you know, I'm also thinking as I'm looking at their product, these are good guys. They're right, doing right. the right thing. So, that's, you know, I think that's a, that's a great example for other brands to um, ladder up above uh, creating and, 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 you know, providing wonderful products and services that beat your competitors, but understanding what your higher purpose is. And I think that's where we're all moving. You know, that's, yep. that's where our minds are moving. The, the millennials are educating us. Uh, but, you know, all of us baby boomers and everybody in between, uh, you know, I think we're, our hearts were there. We just weren't there as much as millennials are. And I think that's where the companies of the future need to be. 
That's a great great point, and we need to um, to wrap up uh, this segment. We're going to be back in a moment more with Stephen Cook, enlightening us about how to move through this modern era, how to be a strong brand, and what smart CMOs are doing to to keep their businesses open. We'll be back in a moment on the Tech Cat Show. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. And we are back for our last segment with the fabulous Stephen Cook. Now, Stephen, I know you go to a lot of different shows, and that's really important to keep up to date and to you know stay in the uh, eyesight also of all these great CMOs. Um, and you were, you were at the AMAs this summer. What, what did you pick up from from there? Because that's a sort of perennial event that everybody gets such a great um, kick from. Right. So this was the annual conference in August, happened to be held in Atlanta, uh, and. Uh, I had the opportunity to interview Russ Klein, who is the CEO. He's been in place for about 18 months, and he's a multiple-time CMO uh, in uh, a lot of big brands. And so he, he knows he, he understands where marketing's been and where it needs to go. And he's he's shaken the tree at the AMA to get them uh, into the 21st century. And and that's the American words. Marketing Association, right? American, American Marketing Association. Association. They have chapters all over all over the states, uh, and Russ wants the AMA to be the de facto first choice for marketers and people in sales to go to for for knowledge, for training, et cetera. And so, one of the first things he did when he got there uh, was to get key thought leaders from both the commercial enterprises, but also the academic side, because the AMA is 
uh, a mixed group of academicians in marketing and business as well as practitioners. And what they did was figure out, with a lot of due diligence and a lot of brain power, what were the biggest issues or problems or opportunities that marketers over the, the foreseeable future need to focus on and figure out and implement. And so um, they came up with market, what they call marketing's seven big problems. And, um, you know, where I think there's value for, for your listeners, and they can, you know, just if you do a search on AMA marketer, marketing seven big problems, you'll see this pop up or... Uh, I can I can send you uh, the article that I wrote, but these are things you really need to think about. So I'll read through these if you'd like, and sure. I can give some color commentary to each one. Um, the first one, and these aren't in order of priority, but um, the first item I'll mention that they mention is effectively targeting high value sources of growth. I mean, the the CMO's role has. You know, one of the other changes is it's it's moved from a service provider internally developing collateral to being um, accountable now as a as a function and as a uh, a specific role for growth and for profitable growth and, and and for standing up and having measurable accountable targets. So that's a big important part for CMOS. Uh, the, the next item is the role of marketing inside the firm and the C-suite. Again, this goes hand-in-hand with the changing role of the CMO, Uh, you know, just because of all these transformations that are happening, the CMO is not going to be given all these responsibilities in one fell swoop. They they have to be seen as worthy of, of leading these very important new areas and transformations. So they have to earn their seat at the table. Uh, and and it, that's going to be different in every company, uh, but that's something that CMOs need to figure out. The next one, we talked about this already, is the digital transformation of the modern corporation. Uh, that doesn't fall on the CMO's back entirely. It falls on the C-suite's back. Uh, but in, in, in most businesses, the CMO plays either a leadership role or a critically influential role. So that's very important. The next one is generating and using insights to shape marketing practice. So this is talking about big data. And every company, and I I put my hand on a Bible on this, every company in every vertical has more data than they know what to do with today. Uh, I'll, I'll bet you, you know, 100 bucks on that. So you've got to figure out what do we need, what are we trying to learn, and then figure out how to use that data to get ROI and to make whatever it is you're doing better. Again, easier said than done. Uh, none, none of these are easy to figure out, by the way. These are all multi-year, yeah. very, very complex issues, which is why they're marketing seven big problems. Uh, the next one is dealing with an omni-channel world. Again, we've heard the omni-channel phrase for the last couple of years, uh, and it's getting more complex every day. There are more and more channels, and consumers are blocking, ad-blocking certain messages in certain channels, and people are going into Best Buy and showrooming and looking at a TV and then buying it on Amazon while they're inside the Best Buy, right? Uh, you have to understand all of the channels that you need to communicate in and interact and engage in and figure out what's the right mix, where do I put my weight and my resources, and, 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 and how do I operate in each channel because every channel has different dynamics. The second to the last one is competing in uh, dynamic global marketplaces. Uh, the world is flat. It's been flat for a couple of years. It's going to get flatter. Uh, you know, I, I bought some products recently 
on Alibaba. I never thought I'd do that. I ordered from a oh, yeah. Chinese website. Yeah, me you know, too. I've done that too. It's a, it's a very flat world. It's dynamic. And so the world of business, the game of business, uh, gets more complex and dynamic every day. You've got to figure that out. And again, that is not uh, entirely on the CMO's back. That is a C-suite and a board of directors challenge. And then the last one that, that, they, uh, folk, that they highlighted was balancing incremental and radical innovation. And you've got to do both. Um, you know, a, a good book um, that I recently read, and I actually interviewed Scott Brinker. Have you met Scott yet of Hacking no. Marketing? No. He's a, guy, he's a guy you need to have on your show. Scott, has, he's a, a career technologist, started off as a software designer. Uh, he uh, is the originator of the MarTech Conference in Silicon Valley and London. Just came out with a book called Hacking Marketing. Mm. And his, his thesis is that um, a lot of the agile marketing techniques that software developers have had to learn as they've moved away from the traditional waterfall approach, the waterfall approach did not allow software developers to keep up with their clients, what their clients' changing needs were. So agile software development came into vogue, and his argument is that marketers now need to be schizophrenic. Uh, you, you need to. That's not a problem. Uh, you, need, you need to learn how to do agile marketing, which is dynamic, very fast-paced marketing, like an agile software developer would use. So that's disruptive, rapid change, radical innovation. But you also have to still um, uh, lead incremental innovation because, especially for large legacy companies. You know, when I worked at Coca-Cola, we used to say Coca-Cola was a um, a battleship, an aircraft carrier, not a speedboat. And you know, that's good and it's bad. You know, there are, there are pluses and minuses to being a, an aircraft carrier versus being a speedboat. You need to be both. And you know, that's the challenge a lot of legacy companies have when new companies like Airbnb, right, or Uber, when they come into the marketplace, they're speedboats. They don't have legacy culture, legacy infrastructure, legacy headcount. They don't, they don't, you know, legacy value chain partners. They don't have any of that. So they can do radical innovation. CMOs today need to be able to do incremental and radical. So these are the, these are the seven areas that the AMA is going to be focused on in terms of all their thought, where all their training. And I, I would advocate that these are seven good starting places uh, that anybody in the marketing uh, or, or I call it advertising or marketing ecosystem should be thinking about, and these each one of these is meaty and long term. These are not tactical. You, you will not find a tactical solution for any of these. These are oh, all great, highly great, strategic. Stephen. This, that that was very insightful and very helpful. Um, we we have to wrap the show up now. Um, you have delivered so many insights in such a short amount of time that we really appreciate it. Where can we um, read more about what you're doing and and um, when you're speaking and and blogging and all that? Well, if you, if you uh, go to um, fortunecmo.co, that's my website, uh, or uh, go to my LinkedIn URL and reach out to me and connect with me, that's the best way to keep up with me. And then, uh, and Lori will have that posted on the website. And then cmo.com, I write a story about once every two weeks called uh, the CMO's Notebook. And uh, Adobe uh, on cmo.com has a wonderful search engine, so just search Stephen Cook. 
Fantastic. Well, this has been the Tech Cat, um, getting some great insights from Stephen Cook on the future of marketing and the life of a CMO. We'll be back next week with more on the Tech Cat Show. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 